This is the Horse Radio Network. Hey there, this is episode or lesson 45 of Equine Clicker 101 podcast of the Horse Radio Network. Introducing positive reinforcement to the made horse. Equine Clicker 101 is a podcast that takes you to the class to learn and practice clicker training for your horse. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. They are Vianova Training and Cavalier Feed. This is Shauna Karish, and in today's episode, what we're going to discuss is how, because this is what most horses are, how to take that horse who is who is already going under saddle, who's already been pretty much trained with traditional training, and how do you kind of cross over to using more of the positive reinforcement? What parts do you need to do it all over, or do you just pick pieces apart? And we're going to discuss what that looks like and, and what to look for as you're helping your horse to transition from from one type of training and moving over towards positive reinforcement. One of the things that people ask me all the time is there, where do I get a clicker? Where do I get a target? Where do I find a book, your book? Where do I find side buckets? Where do I find information? Well, you can find all of that on, if you look up shaunacarish.com, you're going to come, or you look up shaunacarish, you'll find either shaunacarish.com or you'll find vianovatraining.com. And either of them will take you to my pages as our websites have been merged together. And you will find, um, you'll find more about there's one page that has products and you can find out more about the products that are available. You can also find the podcast and you can find Ask Shauna, but you can also find the Via Nova training page, which tells you more about our mission here at Via Nova. And you can also sign up for our newsletter, which will keep you abreast of what we are doing here at Via Nova and what is on our schedule. Because one day soon we will be over all of this coronavirus stuff and we'll be back to doing workshops. So, why don't we learn a little bit more about Vianova? At Vianova, our mission is to bring awareness of positive reinforcement training to the mainstream equestrian world from the top competitors to the casual enthusiast. It helps to create happy horses and ultimately improves the athletic performance. So if you are performing with your horse, it can help you to have a happy athlete. Or it can have you a happy trail horse, whichever you want. It creates a unique bond with your horse and it can be used to help save some behavioral issues on the ground or even under saddle. As I said, I'm based out of there and I have the expertise and experience that can help bring you to the next stage of the game. Also, Nova offers coaching and education and positive reinforcement that enhances any training program. And we're based in lovely Santa Fe, New Mexico. So it's a great place to come for workshops or positive reinforcement, but also enjoy the Southwest scenery shopping and dining. And boy, do we have good dining. Visit Vianovatraining.com and you can sign up for our newsletter and you can stay abreast of what's going on out here via Nova. Welcome to the classroom. Okay, so what we're going to do is talk about what most horses are out there are. There's very few horses that are out there that have been raised with positive reinforcement. It's just, it's so new that it is, there's very few people that have actually taken a baby and brought them along. I happen to be one of those people because I've done this with a number of babies, but really there's just not that many out there in 
in the the world that have been raised through the whole process. So typically, our horses have had some typical training, some traditional training. Now, sometimes that traditional training has been quite agreeable and quite soft, and it's really relaxed, and the horses are easy, and and they're quite good with it. That's what I saw a lot when I first started working with BZ Madden. She is so soft and so, you know, so patient and and agreeable with the horses that they just were really mostly nonplussed by their their training or their world. But then there's other horses that are more sensitive. And sometimes the same type of training that one horse finds quite agreeable, this horse may not find so agreeable. It can be too much for that sensitive soul. And then sometimes, let's admit it, people can do all kinds of training wrong. So sometimes people with the best intentions have been maybe a little bit heavy-handed or a little bit uh, you know, a little less sensitive to how the horse is responding. So sometimes the horse comes away and they do have baggage from, from pieces that maybe they didn't understand, or they've had things happen in their world that are actually outside of training that, that have maybe caused some, some stress for them. But it is not uncommon for a horse who comes from the traditional world to have some pieces that maybe are a little bit harder, lessons that have been harder for them to learn or absorb or, or whatever it might be. So what we want to do is we take a horse who comes from the traditional training world and pretty much we're getting horses mostly because they, we found them to be quite agreeable with us. They, it is a good horse for us, but sometimes then we hit these little roadblocks. We're like, Ooh, but he's not so good about clipping. Ooh, he's not so good about his trailer loading. Ooh, he's not so good about his lead changes or whatever it might be. So we kind of find these little pockets where we might need to kind of go in and, and address that, that challenging situation for the horse. And then sometimes we get horses who are a big giant mess <laughs> and that is, that can happen too. And, and I've even had some of those horses, you know, like some horses that have been trained. And like I mentioned earlier, they're a sensitive horse. And while the training that the people did has worked with a thousand horses or let's say a hundred horses, but this one horse didn't get it, you know? So for them, they just kept doing more of the trainer keeps doing more of what they know, which the horse has already said, I don't get it. I don't know it. So with not meaning to be bad intentions, it it really kind of turned into a situation where the horse can feel like they've been, they're reacting like an abused horse. And it's not that, that it was, you know, deliberately done to, to be frustrating or cruel to the horse when sometimes that happens too, but it simply is that it didn't work for this horse. So the person is doing the, using the only tool that they understood, but the horse kept saying, but I still don't know it just because you're doing it bigger or louder or with more pressure. Now you're just yelling at me in a language I don't understand. I really picture it like, you know, let's say you went to a foreign country and, and so we go to Germany, let's say. And or let's say Russia, because that's even more foreign. At least I know some German words. But so you go to Russia, they say, (laughs) whatever they say. And then I go, what? I don't know what that means. And then they say it, but they say it louder and they say it more intense. And they're getting frustrated because I don't know what they're saying, but I don't know the language. So now this starts to feel more intimidating and more scary. And I'm getting a little more backed off. They weren't intending to come. They were trying to converse with me, but I didn't understand. And so they kept giving me what I didn't understand in the first place. 
until their frustration rises. And now my frustration rises. So a lot of times I think of those situations a bit like that. So one of the things we really want to do with positive reinforcement is one, give people another tool for their toolbox. But two, hopefully in the process, people really start to understand and and see that there are a lot of advantages to using the positive reinforcement training as it really brings a lot of clarity. It goes slower, small steps. We engage their mind. We create good emotions in it. And so it can be a clearer picture that can help us get through some of those more challenging spots. Let's say, so, so a lot of times when people start with their, their, they think, okay, I love this new positive reinforcement. I'm going to do it with my horse. I want to do it all positive reinforcement. So they get going and they, they think they can't do anything because the horse already learned things. So they don't know, what do I do? He learned it this way, but not this way. And how much, what do I, how do I blend these two together? So I think this is a point I want to make right now is I'm trying not to blend the training. So I don't do positive and negative reinforcement to train a new behavior. I'm taking a behavior that was trained with negative reinforcement and I want to switch it over to positive reinforcement. So here's a good example. So I'm not trying to blend. I'm trying to switch over. But how do we help the horse to switch over? And I'm going to tell you one of the first things you've heard me talk about this about 8,000 times in these in these podcast lessons is that choice is really, really important. And choice is very, very empowering. So when we, and, and it's even been argued that it's a primary reinforcement. So choice is very, very significant part of the positive reinforcement training process in my eyes. So what I want to do is to take halters and lead ropes off, start building a relationship with me, building a relationship with the training and with the fact that they have choice. So I may use a halter and lead rope to get to the arena to work. I mean, it's not like I'm not using it, but when I'm really introducing the training, I want to give them all the choice that I possibly can. So what are the things that can happen? And I'm going to, this is going to sound like a deterrent, but I promise you it's not. Sometimes one of the first things that can happen is a horse says, well, if I have a choice, I'm going to say no. And that is really scary for people because they're like, now what do I do? But I want you to keep in mind with positive reinforcement, we have a new set of tools. We have a way to increase their motivation. We have a way to undo unpleasant association or emotions. We have a way to create a new emotional association. So pretty soon they love the training. They're invested in the training. So if they say, well, I really actually never did like the, tra- the trailer. And then we go, oh, well, uh oh, now what? But now we can just do it in smaller steps. The, them having them at liberty, having them loose and free to make choice to choices. It actually, in my mind, it gives me a ton of information because now I go, oh, you didn't actually like this. Well, I want to know that because I could change that, and I have tools to change that utilizing the the systematic positive reinforcement training. But I also then I can figure out what part maybe don't you like. And oftentimes when we give them choice, I'll find a horse go, I'm going to get in, I'm going to get out. And they go, you mean I can get out? Well, if I can get out, then I'm going to get in. Because again, they know that it is not some sort of trap where it's the end of the road. They, they really become really partners, true partners who are participating in their training. They're not obliging. They're not complying. They're saying, actually, I want to do this and I like this. So as much as it may seem intimidating at first, it's actually to me quite 
it gives me so much information that I learned a lot about the horse in that process. And I can now address those specific pieces because I'll also see where those specific pieces might be. I'm going to give you an example of that. So one time I was called in and I've told this story before on this, on this podcast in different lessons. So bear with me if you've heard it before, but it was, I was called in to work with these six horses who were needing to travel across country. Four of them, I was told, were not so good at loading in the trailer, but two of them were very good at loading in the trailer. But they were doing it while they had the halter and lead rope on them. They were also using a target and a clicker. So they had had some some basis, you know, in the positive reinforcement, not quite with the the freedom that I, I, I ideally like to have, but you know, it's people new to it. So they're just kind of moving along and doing, you know, learning as they go a bit. So I come in and they say, okay, these two are good. These four are not good. And they already had the trailer in the arena. And I said, well, this is great. What we're going to do is we'll work each of them individually and we're going to take off the halter and lead rope though. So there's no halter and lead rope even on them. I want them to, to know that because sometimes the halter and lead rope, it, it represents a little less freedom than we actually think. So the I worked with the four challenging ones first, the ones that were having a challenge with it. And, you know, you could see then where it was. And we came up with a plan with how to get through it. And we did. I ended up going with their move, you know, halfway across the country. And that was great. But the two good ones, and I say that with air quotes, <laughs> those two good ones, actually, once you took the halter and lead rope off, they were the two worst ones. They said, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to do that. While they would comply and get on the trailer, it was not of the right mindset. They didn't like it and they, they weren't going to like it. And they so they were tolerating it and they would do it because they felt like they didn't have a choice. And I'm going to tell you, I loaded them with the halter and lead rope first and they were just as soft and as agreeable as possible. I wouldn't have known that they didn't like the trailer loading until I took the halter and lead rope off. And then I went, oh, interesting. So it really shows how much the halter and lead rope took away their true choice and their true freedom. So now I could see, do you not like the, the panel closing? Do you not like, you know, the, the divider closing? Do you not like the ramp closing? Do you just not like getting on the ramp? And, and I could see those pieces very clearly now, and I could then focus on those pieces. So that's just something to keep in mind as we go. So as we start to introduce and work with the, the positive reinforcement horse, we, and, and under saddle, I'm focusing on more than anything because you can start when I start with the positive reinforcement on the ground, I can introduce things they've never been exposed to. I can do it at Liberty. I introduce the target, the clicker first, the target, the Liberty leading, the reverse round pen, different pieces, you know, just lifting your legs, stay, whatever those things might be. Those are all things that they can do at Liberty. So it does build a relationship. It increases and enhances our individual relationship with one another, but it also really increases and helps their understanding of the training. And I start to teach them to be problem solvers, to like the game. That's another thing you've heard me say. This training, when it's done correctly, when it's done well, it is not all about the food. It is about the game that ensues. And, and that was with that, you know, we've seen that with that study done back in the 60s where they would ignore the free food and go to the lever for food when they knew both. But it's because they chose to want to to play the game to get their food. So this is really an important component. And we're building that as we do that ground work with them. So we're, we're building the relationship with the training, turning them into problem solvers. The horse who has not been a problem solver, and this is common with 
the crossover horse that a lot of times the horses who have learned, if I know the answer, I can keep myself out of trouble. Because that's kind of common for a lot of horses. It's like, as soon as I know the answer, I know what to do. And that brings me a a great deal of comfort and a sense of safety because the answer keeps me out of being corrected. But then as we start doing the positive reinforcement, sometimes you'll see horses are like, oh dear, I don't want to make the wrong answer. So I will not really try. I won't give you any answer. And they'll stand there and you can almost see that they either look checked out or they almost look a little mortified, or they look kind of frustrated and maybe even cranky. So that is a piece we have to unpack as we start working with the horse who has, we have to teach them. It's okay not to know the answer. Just try something. I'll take something. Just do something first, and then we'll hone it in and we'll shape it into being the proper thing that we're looking for. So that is something that I'm going to establish on that groundwork. But then as we move to under saddle work, we've now just the nature of having equipment on them means we're now going back to taking away some of their options. And this is a slippery slope that a lot of times people go, oh, he gets it. We're good now. Look, he likes it. There's no problem. But I want you to remember that story about the horses and their halters and the trailer loading. Once we took it off, it was a whole different story. Well, I don't recommend that you just go taking off your equipment and hopping on when you don't really know what you're going to get. So the equipment isn't the, the hard part. It is wanting to be sure where your horse's mental state is. So what does that look like? How do we move forward? So one of the things I keep in mind, it, it, there's certain horses I meet and I think, you know what? You're kind of over threshold on all the pieces. So for you, I'm going to take you all the way back to the beginning like they're a baby. Now we're going to move through these steps faster because they do know what is expected of them. But I want to go through each and every step like I would a brand new baby because I want to help them understand about the, uh, I want that. I want to be sure that I am building a proper reinforcement history with it. So they have a reinforcement history now, but it's based in traditional training, which if you remember me talking about, we've talked about that traditional training tends to light up the part of the brain responsible for fight or flight. In that part of the brain, we have things like cortisol and, and stress hormones being produced. When we work with positive reinforcement and we t- turn them into problem solvers, we're tending to light up a different part of the brain that neuroscientists have shown us. <laughs> and it's been referred to as the seeking system. And this is them finding things they want. It's problem solving, solving the puzzle, uh, finding the answer. And so that tends to be in, uh, related to producing Uh, chemicals and hormones known as like endorphins and dopamine. So things that make them feel good versus ones that make them feel not so good. So traditional training, no matter how soft, it doesn't mean it's, it's big pressure and stuff, but it's still based in that negative reinforcement, that pressure, relieving the pressure. Um, So no matter how soft it is, we've still tapped into a different part of the brain and it results, it it results in a different uh, emotional association. So as we go through with their their reinforcement history, that's what we've got behind it. Now, some of it has been kind of softened and they're like, okay, good. I know what to do with this. And it's it's gone into more of a neutral phase. Well, when we come along with the positive reinforcement, we're actually taking them in to really using the classic conditioning to create 
more of the endorphin and dopamine side of things. So we don't, I don't want horses to balk at something, but that may be the first step. And then the next step may be that they tolerate it, but I don't want it to end there. I don't want them just tolerating the things I ask for. I want them to like the things I ask for and want them to want to do it. So by building the, the positive reinforcement history, really we're utilizing classic conditioning in that state. I'm not going to actually turn it into something they like, something they want to do, something they go, oh, I love canter. Why wouldn't I canter? Let's canter. And that part is really important to me. So regardless of where the horse is, I'm going to start reinforcing each of the things they know how to do. But the horse that has shown me that they're over threshold, they're kind of looking big eyed, a little tense, a little rigid, a little high headed. I'm going to go back and say, I'm going to treat you like a baby and really ensure that I build a proper reinforcement history with each of the pieces I would just like I'm bringing a baby horse along under saddle. So I think that that part is really an important thing. But where do we get that information to figure out if that's how we have to go with that horse? We go back to that body language. We're looking for the eyes, the jaw, the neck, the head carriage, the, the tension, the tension in the jaw, the tail swishing, the, the tense body, the marching off too much or the, you know, or the not moving at all. All of those things tell me there's some tension in here. And as we've learned to in earlier lessons, refine our eye to see those subtle, subtle things, you're going to see a lot there and you're going to go, you know what? I recognize that maybe this isn't as easy for you or as comfortable for you, or maybe, and, and, and it, you would behoove you to go along and rebuild a positive reinforcement history with all of those pieces in a very deliberate way. Now, this is, now the next part is where more horses are. More horses are pretty good with a lot of their parts, but you're going to find certain spots. So I think about it like this. If I go to a uh, horse and I go up to the horse and I go to put the halter on and lead them and they're like, yep, no big deal. Then I'm not going to worry about, about going back and teaching it like they're a baby. I will start clicking and reinforcing good responses. And sometimes I'm just feeding good responses. You put it on. That's great. Here's, you know, here's some hay pellets and that's great. Now let's walk and lead along as you're leading along nicely. Good. Here's another reinforcer. So I'm going to start building a positive reinforcement history with it, but not quite as intensely as a horse that seems to be carrying uh, tension in, in most of the elements of their, their, their ridden work. So I, I don't necessarily feel like I have to go back and do it like a baby, but I do want to start reinforcing them just a way to say, thank you. I appreciate that you did that. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that you did that. But as I go along, I may find, but when it's time for me to pull the girth tight, now I have a response. So now this piece. So if that's where I see tension, that piece, I'm going to take back to baby, baby steps and say, okay, I need this. I'm going to now recondition and build it. So this part I'm going to unpack and rebuild with a new and improved reinforcement history. So that's what I want you to look for when you're working with your horse and going along and you're deciding, I, okay, what, how do I, what do I, how do I? It's trying to recognize that body language and going back to the lessons we learned way back when there's a whole episode on it, actually whole lesson on it, right? Frankly, um, and go back to that and looking for that and recognizing what pieces am I looking for? How are you? Are you uncomfortable? Because it can be quite, quite subtle. So I want you to be looking for those little subtle pieces that we had discussed 
You know, it was lesson 39. That's what it was. And I want you to spend a little time there and, and see that and, and pay attention to your horse because he is communicating to you, as we discussed in that lesson, all the time. He's telling you what part is good, what part he likes, what part he doesn't like, what part and all the time. And you're also going to see as it starts to change, you're going to start to see things. You'll start to see him exhale a little bit more. You're going to start to see him um you know, just be more relaxed with the whole thing. So it is, um, so it's really, really important. But anyway, so, so these are the pieces you need to go to listen to le- lesson 39. If you haven't recently, or maybe you just missed it altogether, which I can't imagine why you would, um, it will help you to kind of recognize some of those pieces. So you can determine what parts do I need to spend a little time in and which parts do I need to move on? Now, I'm going to also give you a little a, a little caveat that perhaps will help you because sometimes there's two particular behaviors that I find that I look at that it might not just be that behavior. It can be what comes after the behavior. So t- sometimes part of the saddling process or the bridling process, sometimes that can be tension because of what has come after. So it doesn't mean you did it. Maybe you did. Maybe you had a bad day. Maybe your hands weren't so good and they're better now. Who knows what? But sometimes the pieces that say this predicts what comes next. So it's part of the getting tacked up part. And oftentimes it can be the mounting part. So when I see those two pieces, whether it's the bridle or the saddle or the girth, or it is the mounting process, I kind of think in my head, I go, this might be more about what comes after versus just this piece right here. So in tr- trying to avoid the rider getting on because the rider one time got on and they had a sore back. So now they don't want the rider on because the sore back came from the rider. And that would might just be isolated to that particular piece. And, and then they can still have a memory of that piece, that pain that happened and not know that's not going to come again. But sometimes it could be that the rider got on, then we went on our way and, you know, my back continued to be hurt by the rider or the rider's hands were kind of heavy and, and it scared me with my mouth or whatever, you know, there's a thousand scenarios we could talk about there. But keep in mind, it can sometimes start backing up and backing up and backing up. And sometimes the horse will be good, good, good until just the mounting. And then pretty soon it is the girthing and then the mounting, or it'll be the bridling. So it goes from mounting. Now they're not so good at the bridling. And now they're not so good at the girthing. And now they're not so good with the saddle being put on. So that gives me a definite path that says they're backing it all the way up to say this predicts this, this predicts this, this predicts this. And then they're saying, I don't want like what comes next. So keep that in mind that it could be some other pieces there. But if we're really trying to set out and pay attention to all those little pieces, and in addition, I really do set out with a crossover horse, even though I may not feel like I have to go back and completely rework it all over like a baby, uh, you know, and and really build that. And again, it goes faster than a a typical baby. But sometimes I just start putting the positive reinforcement on there. And I'm paying attention to that. I want to be sure that I am really starting to reinforce all of the little elements. So who I'm going to work with today is a horse named Nico. And Nico has had um, 
some positive reinforcement history. He has a huge positive reinforcement history with stuff, but his under saddle work, he had some positive reinforcement go on. He's one that has got to where he didn't like the bridle, you know, backed up to the pieces because in his lifetime, the, the owner who had him before or was training and working with him before the last rider was kind of, you know, was what he deemed too much. You know, he didn't understand and he didn't know what was expected of him and it became quite scary. So as he, his rider, then his next rider would get on, he would just be tense and it was really hard to unpack that for him. So he is one that needed to be, he's really strong with the positive reinforcement, but his reinforcement history with the under saddle work is so in his mind, harsh and scary that he's not so good at it, you know, so it makes him fearful and it makes him tense. So what I'm going to be setting out to do with him, and this is what I do with most of my just crossover horses where I'm taking them to the next place. I just want to get on and say, can we walk? I'm going to, I'm going to work on the very basic cues and building a strong reinforcement history with the most simplistic cues. So getting on, I click and reinforce, click and reinforce, click and reinforce. So they're like, okay, I like the rider get on. And I say, can you walk on? And it's just a subtle, nice cue. As they respond to the cue, I click and feed. And then as they, and, and sometimes I have to stop them at first to click and feed them because they're like, oh, I don't know that that means something on the ground, but I don't know about here because I'm in another headspace. So sometimes I'll have to stop and reinforce them. And then, uh, so I work on go, stop simple opening rein right turn simple opening rein left turn go stop and so it's very simple and in the case of nico i'm also going to use targets in um in traffic cones so i have those those permanent i mean mobile stationary targets because this is going to help him who is very worried about stuff to go, okay, but I know what to do with that, that thing. The target can bring some comfort and some safety. So that's what I'm going to be working on there. But it is a tactic I take with all horses as I introduce them to under saddle. I don't expect them to do much for the first week or two. I just want to build that reinforcement history with each of those general components and help them to, to, to really increase their responsiveness to each of those simple cues. So I want them to stop. I want them to go. I want them to turn right. I want them to turn left. And I want them to be very basic. As we get more complicated, I'll start using more of the indirect rein or the, the neck rein with it. You know, so we get a little more complicated. And we can use a little bit of, if I use a little leg, can you move over from that? Or can you bend a little bit around that? So I can introduce each of those pieces as I'm paying attention to how each of those pieces work for them. So that is our basic in a nutshell where I want you to go forward with a horse, the basic horse under saddle. Now the basic crossover horse or taking the main horse and inducing positive reinforcement. Now there may be specific things you encounter along the way. This isn't really about those specific things because there can be also a bajillion because that's a number. <laughs> there could be lots and lots and lots of different issues that come up as an under saddle challenge. 
So we would then break them down as best we can. That's not where I'm really kind of focusing on today. What I'm really focusing on is the relaxed energy. So I want a horse who's relaxed. And in Nico's case, I'm going to be looking more focused on the relaxed than energy. There's certain, but I do want him to also, when I say go forward, he goes, okay. And he goes forward with that relaxed energy. There's certain horses that I get on, they go, no. You said go, and I'm going to balk at that because that is how they have coped with things that have been fearful or worrisome. So some horses are prone to going. Some are more prone to saying, no, I'm going to, um, then I'm not moving at all. So in that situation, I'm going to be working a little more on the going and the responsiveness to the going because that is a piece I feel like will help balance out where they are emotionally. When for Nico, the, the slowing and relaxing is the piece I'm going to look for there. But in all of it, I do want relaxed energy. So that can sound like a, you know, a oxymoron, but it really isn't. It is, I want them to go, okay, I'm going to go. I'm relaxed and I'm involved in this and I like it and I want to do it. This is how we respond when we're like, oh yeah, okay, great. Let's go to the store. You know, if, if we like going to the store, we might need some positive reinforcement for going to the store sometimes and then we'll get better. <laughs> but, but the point is we want them to just go, yeah, okay, yeah, let's go and not feel like, okay, like it's begrudgingly or they're like, okay, and feeling like there's nervous or worry it behind it. So these are the basic pieces. We can talk more in later episodes and, and, and more about specific issues that you might have. But as we go forward, there is sometimes people bring me like, Oh, I want to know how to do a raining stop. Well, you need to know how to do a raining stop. That's not my expertise. But if you can bring me the steps, I can help you break it down. But some of them, like this situation, is a more simplistic overall attitude. And what we're trying to do is take that, that problem-solving, loving the training horse to undersaddle. Because a lot of times... When we go to undersaddle, I found plenty of horses that when we click, they just look around like, I, that doesn't matter now. This is different. This is separate. And we want to say, no, no, this is the same training. I'm just doing it from a different area. I'm just up here now, but it's the same relationship we've established on the ground. I'm that same person. I'm just up here. And if I need to unpack that a little, we will. But I want to be sure I have that same responsiveness, willing and, and eager, you know, horse in this situation as well. So that's where we're going to go with it today, because like I said, it can go on and on and on. But for now, this is where we're going to kind of get started and get to those pieces and learning to recognize where your horse may have uh, nervous energy, what piece you need to unpack and where they may have their little bit of struggles. Maybe it is just, well, we'll talk about that later in the homework. Anyway, so what I want you to do is go get your horse. And if this is a crossover horse, but you know what? Let's say you've already been doing it under saddle and this isn't brand new. It's never a bad thing to go back and just work on that bridge conditioning under saddle, uh, that responsiveness, turning their head around, asking them to uh, slow down, relax, respond to each of those things. It's never a bad thing to do and get on and just reinforce and strengthen the reinforcement history with each of those components. Because what we do a bit, as we move on, we have a tendency to kind of take things for granted, you know, so this is a way it's great to go, okay, I'm going to be sure I'm not taking it for granted. Let's go back and I'm going to, I'm going to say thank you for each of these pieces today. So go get your horse, go get tacked up, pay attention to their mental state all the way through. I'm going to go get Nico ready to go. And, and this is going to be, this is going to be a little more challenging for Nico. Cause so 
go get ready, get your stuff. And I like to ride with a bum bag. Um, the, it, it also has another name in the U.S. that in the U.K. is not appropriate, so I won't say that. But we're going to get our bum bag or waste pack, and I like to fill it up. I tend to like to use Equine Senior when I'm riding under saddle. And the reason I like the Senior Feeds is because they tend to dissolve in their mouth. Because they're made for horses with uh, teeth that are maybe not so good anymore. Horses that maybe it's food isn't so palatable anymore. They don't find it quite as appetizing. So it dissolves in their mouth. So I like it if they pack it in a cheek, it starts to dissolve. And I don't have to worry about chunks of carrots, you know, getting stuck around their bit or, you know, as they exercise getting huffed in. And then, um, and, and so I like the equine senior. So I tend to ride with the equine senior. Uh, but sometimes some cookies are good and other people I've, I've known people that have used carrots or stuff. It's just my own thing is it makes more sense to me to have the equine senior feel safer. So I'm going to be riding with a bum bag and I have a clicker uh, on a stick. So it is in a riding stick position so I can click and carry my clicker. And it's it's a target, actually with the clicker on the stick. So it's not a stick. It's not a stick at all, really, in that way. It is a riding target. So whatever you need to do, whatever bridge signal you might want to take with you, but uh, go get your stuff, get ready to bridge them under saddle, get ready to feed them under saddle and get your saddle on and get your helmet on. And I'll meet you in a few minutes. Okay. Talk to you in a bit. Okie dokie. I'm here and I am with Nico and I already got in the saddle. So I stepped up here and I just reinforced a lot when I got on because I could tell he's thinking, okay, we've been working with the saddle on, but I didn't know that meant a person in the saddle. And keep in mind, his history in the saddle isn't with me. You know, he doesn't, but his it's still a history with the saddle predicts this. So he still has a nervousness that he doesn't think, oh, well, you didn't do it. He doesn't even know. It's like a conditioned response by now. So I get that he's he's going to be a little head high and he wanted to walk off immediately from the cross ties. I mean, from the, the mounting block. But you know what? I didn't say stop. I said, that's okay. You just walk on. And let him, I didn't prompt him to walk on. I didn't cue him for that. I just said, it's okay. You need to put your energy somewhere. That's okay. You put your energy where you need to. So as he's going the first, and so he's walking right now. So right now his head is a little bit high. One of the things I taught him on the reverse round pen is to start learning to lower his head. So I feel confident that at some point in time, when he is feeling like he doesn't know what to do because he's marching, you know, he's kind of going. And at some point, I think he's going to lower his head just there. There he did it. He lowered his head a little bit. It wasn't all the way low. It wasn't as great as I want, but I could tell he stopped being kind of big eyed and up in the air. So I clicked and I needed to stop him and kind of pull his head around to remind him to about reinforcing him. So I'm reinforcing him a few handfuls. Okay, he's, he's eating, but he walked off again. So I'm going to let him walk off. If I start saying, no, no, stop, I'm probably going to create more tension in him. His safety for him has been in his walking. So I'm going to let him go. I was going to prepare you guys a little bit more, but here we are. We're in the thick of it. 
And there we go. So as we walked off, and that's okay, and I just let him walk off, his head isn't quite, his eyes aren't looking, because I still see his eyes and his ears, don't look quite as tense, but his head's still a little bit high. So I'm going to look for him to lower it just like a couple inches, you know, not very much. But meanwhile, what I'm also doing, I'm letting him walk off his energy a little bit so he can feel like he is, he has some control in there and he can be, he can, he has choice in this a little bit. So he feels like he doesn't have as much choice. My big goal is to make sure he feels like he has lots of choice and that he is a participant in this and that I'm trying to pay attention to him and look for what makes him comfortable, that I'm not just going to make him do something or say, do this and correct him, but I give him a lot of latitude within safety. Okay. Keep in mind, Okay, good. There he goes. He lowered his head quite a bit there. So that was good. He actually was almost level. So I'm going to reinforce him again. I'm reinforcing him on the same side. As I get going, I like to feed from both sides because I like him to be uh, comfortable with feeding from both sides. But since I established this side right away, letting him know what to expect, I think can help him quite a bit. So I'm just going to feed him from this side for the first couple times. I'm not going to try and mix it up too much to make him go, wait, I don't know the right answer again. So I'm just going, that's it. You, you turned your head, you looked and I fed him and that was great. And he is walked off again. <laughs> I'm afraid we're just going to do this a little bit and that's okay. He's, he's chewing his food to a certain point and he's like, I'm just going to keep walking. I suspect, I don't know, because this is not something that I was witness to or, or know much about, but I suspect going was either safe because he got in trouble if he wasn't going or it just feels comfortable naturally for who he is. So no big deal. I just say, that's okay. You can walk off. And he's he is kind of marchy. And I'm going to look for one of two things to happen, for him to lower his head, to take a deep breath, three things, or for him to slow his pace, pace a little bit. All of those things are a manifestation or an observable part of relaxation. So relaxation is really what I want. Ultimately, there we go. Perfect. So he just slowed down his pace just a little bit. It wasn't, it wasn't where I really ultimately want it, but I took a little tiny gradient. I'm going to shape it to softer and slower. So as he slowed down just a little bit, I liked it. I clicked and reinforced. But each of those different pieces, I'm going to reinforce again. I'm going to reinforce again. So I have his mouth kind of full. I'm going to go to the other side now and pull him over to the other side. Good. There we go. So I needed to use the rein a little bit, but I lean to the other side first so that it kind of starts him looking that direction and figure out what I'm doing. And then I fed him from the other side. So he realizes now that it might come from both sides. Like I said, he's had a little bit of the positive reinforcement under saddle, but it was so early on, it was with his previous owner, because um, now he's a Villanova horse, but she was trying to help him with it. But it was so early on and he was so tense about so many pieces. I'm not sure that it, you know, you risk actually poisoning the training because then he's like, well, I hate doing it because it predicts the under saddle part. So I'm just going back and going slower. But as I was saying, okay, good. And he stayed in place. So I'm going to feed him again. That was really good. Okay, good. And now I'm just going to sit here and I'm actually going to ask him to walk off a little bit. Walk off. 
okay, good. And I used my voice a little bit and just leaned ever so slightly and he was good. So I'm going to let him walk for a little bit while I finish my thought about the relaxation. So with the, the exhale, if he takes that kind of deep breath that we can know, there's like, okay, I'm letting go of some tension or he lowers his head a little bit, or he slows his gait a little bit, or if I feel softness. When you're riding the horse, I can feel way more than I can see. And one of those things I can feel is when I feel a little softness letting go from their back and shoulders, from their whole body, really. So if I feel any of those things, I'm going to reinforce it because each of those is an approximation towards shaping towards the the relaxation. So as we talk about I I don't know what's in his head. I don't know that his head is relaxed, but I can start to see when his body starts to relax and he lets go of some tension. So those are the pieces that I'm looking for. So he right now is just going along the, the edge. I'm in the indoor arena and he's just going along the edge of the indoor arena. So he's staying on the rail. So I'm not even introducing much in the way of, of, uh, of steering. Okay, but another thing I started to point out earlier, and and Nico got me distracted, is safety is first and foremost. So if something drastic happened and, and he started bolting or he started, you know, doing something and he started going and lighting up or whatever it means, I need to do whatever I can to keep him safe, to keep me safe, to keep other horses safe, to keep other riders safe. So that is my primary thing. So I don't just go, well, I can't touch the reins because Shauna said so. Safety is first and foremost. So I do have the reins. I have them loose enough that he feels like he's got them, but I have them close enough that I feel like if something starts to go a little bit up, I can go a little bit down. So I can help him adjust and help set him up for to, for success and prevent things from going terribly wrong. So because that's only going to make him more tense, me more tense, and possibly create, um, you know, a, be a hazard in, in some physical way. So keep that in mind. That's always your, uh, your number one priority. I'm going to click and reinforce him right there. He, uh, He's, he lowered his head a little bit more. So that's really nice. And so I reinforced him there and I'm going to reinforce him from the other side. Good. And I'm going to reinforce him again from the other side. So he has cheeks just packed full of food right now, but that's okay. That doesn't matter. Again, I got that senior food. It's going to start dissolving in there. But so safety is first and foremost, and I want to be sure of that so I can set him up for success, but means I I need to have a little bit of of communication there. Sometimes too, you know, I I do have a bit on him. People want to go as you, you know, bitless bridle is a great option for a lot of horses. Some horses actually I find aren't, it isn't their best thing, but I can go with the softest, nicest bit ever. But if I do, if I just immediately change too many pieces of the communication, he understands, I'm probably going to to make him insecure because he's like, well, now I don't understand any of what you're doing. It would just be too much too soon. So I can gradually get him towards a bitless bridle. I can get him towards other equipment. I can get him towards, you know, where he's responding more to the verbals. And he does respond pretty well to the verbals on the reverse round pen because I've used this to help downward transitions, help relaxation, to get his head down, to to understand, walk on, hoe. And he's very good at all those pieces. So it gives me an extra tool that I can communicate with him utilizing um, the verbal cues. So if, if I go right to equipment, I may be a little more startling, but if I slow it down and go to the 
verbals, I can I can have an extra way to bring clarity to him and help him understand. So if you, the reverse round pen was something I've used in the past couple of years, which has helped kind of iron out a lot of these rough edges, I'd say. So if you want to learn more about the reverse round pen, because it's a fabulous tool, uh, go to lessons 22 and 23, and you'll learn a little bit more about those there. So in case you have a horse a lot like Nico and actually use it just not for the goey goey horses, but the, the slow horses too. So increasing motivation. So that is really good. And he's doing quite well. So now what I'm going to do, I am going to ask him to cut across. I'm going to go, I'm almost to the middle of the long side and I'm going to ask him to go straight across the arena and we're going to change directions. I'm not going to do uh, the, it's going to be a slight diagonal, but it's, it's going to be kind of right across the middle and as we're going down there, okay, can you take a right? Good. I'm going to click right there. So I asked him to take a right and he did. He responded quite easily to my soft and I did as little as I could. I just kind of opened it up slowly until he started to turn and I said, okay, good. And then I could click and reinforce him for that. So he was very good. I like that soft responsiveness. So I reinforced him there. So now I've been working on the go. And I haven't worked on the hoe quite as much yet because I think that that's going to be harder for him in his present state. But I could then direct him with the right hand turn there. And he was great. So I clicked to reinforce that. So now I get to say, see, if you listen to that piece, you get reinforced. And so that was really good. And now I'm going to ask him, I'm going to feed him again. And right now I'm more about feeding than I am truly the ridden portion. This is about getting a stronger reinforcement history for him under saddle, for him showing me little signs of relaxation. Okay, can we walk on? And see, I don't even need to use leg. I just say walk on and he's like, yeah, I get it because he knows that from the reverse round pen. So that's great. Not that I don't want to be able to use leg too, but for now I want to do everything I can that reminds him of the training that is so firmly entrenched in positive reinforcement. That was great. Now I'm going to ask him. He feels much slower to me. I'm, oh, I'm going to click and reinforce him again for that. So he feels more like he's walking at a good walk, but not, not kind of like he is chasing his balance. Like I'm kind of like, whoa, okay, just keep going. You know, the, where he's like, I'm going someplace fast. And so that was great. So I reinforced him for that downward transition. And now I'm going to say walk on. Good. And ho. Excellent. Now that was really good. I just sat up a little bit and ho, he knows really strongly with the reverse round bend. He did great. I'm going to feed him a lot. I'm going to get off and I'm going to be done there because that was the ho is the hardest part for him. And yet that's the part I really want him to be the strongest at. I knew I could, it was too soon to ask him earlier on, but as he starts showing me that he was relaxing and softening a little bit, I thought the odds of me getting this right now are a little bit better. So I got off just now and I'm still feeding him and we're walking back to the, to the edge of the arena. So I pulled up the, let me pull up the stirrups here. Perfect. And I'll go to the other side. And so I'm going to feed him the entire way through all of this. He knows now that we're done with the ridden portion. And he, well, he, he thinks we are. And, and he's right. <laughs> I want him to know that we are. And he gets to learn that it didn't go kind of like it has in the past for him sometimes where he got really nervous. So like I said, I knew he wasn't ready for the downward transitions early on. I knew he needed to walk on. But there I thought, you know what? But you're showing me some relaxation. So if you can give me that, 
this is going to be a huge jackpot for you. This is going to be huge. I'll give you lots of that. So he starts to go, oh, well, that wasn't so bad. So that was, I was really, really pleased with that. And I was not, not surprised by him going too quickly in the beginning. Okay, so what I want you to do, so we make our way back over to the to the gate. I want you to get to a place where you feel like you are at a good stopping point for your horse, whatever that may look like. So we'll talk a little bit more about some strategies for the horse who maybe doesn't go forward. I'm going to take Nico home. I'm still feeding him because I'm pleased as punch with him. And I will give him a, take him to get him untacked. And I will meet you back in the classroom. And we're going to discuss the homework and some different things that you might want to address a little bit with a going forward or slowing down, which might be helpful as well. Okay, see you in a few. All righty. So, of course, homework is so important. And this one has a lot of different places we can go with this really early lesson that we did. So we're going to cover some of the, the things that, like I said, I can't cover them all because there can be a thousand, but we're going to cover uh, the some of the things that we have used before. As I mentioned, I like to use senior feed, but I also like to use because it dissolves in their mouth. But another food that I like to use a lot of times on the ground is, and the Cavalier treats are also quite nice, is the Cavalier feed. So we use the Cavalier feed and I use the Cavalier crunchies and even the Cavalier fruities and sweeties. But the Cavalier crunchies I find a lot of horses like, but they can break down a little bit more too. But I've tried to find a food that it can work within their diet. So something that is going to be good for them, it's going to be healthy for them and can, and can add to their quality of life. I don't want to be feeding them Twinkies all the whole time I'm riding. So let's learn a little bit more about what makes Cavalor and their not-so-processed food so very good for them. Cavalor is a horse feed supplement and care product company that was founded in Belgium 30 years ago. And they have been producing feed for the U.S. market since 2012. Its nutrition is based in the way horses are meant to eat. Cavalier's philosophy is based around mimicking the horse's natural diet and how they would eat in the wild, while recognizing that the demands we put on them today are different than wild horses of long ago. One of the things I love about Cavalier is that their products are natural, backed by research and science, and are proven to be effective. That's why Cavalier was a feat of choice for over 100 riders in the most recent World Equestrian Games, for riders in every discipline and from countries around the world. Not only do they make feed, but they also have a complete line of supplements and care products. If you've struggled with any kind of nutritional issue with your horse, you know that all products don't really work as advertised. So that's why Cavalier's is unique. Their products don't make it to the market until they have been proven effective in making noticeable differences in the issue a horse is facing. A lot of times we have behavioral issues with horses, but a lot of these issues actually have a nutritional root. With the positive reinforcement or clicker training, we strive to help the horses to be truly happy. To me, part of that, that philosophy well, really a big part of that philosophy includes making sure I'm doing everything I can to ensure their emotional as well as physical well-being. There's no denying that a good diet is a huge factor in that equation. The best part of Cavalier's team is, it, is that they're so easy to work with. You can reach out to them through their website or Facebook page and a real live person will call you back to personally talk you through your horse's nutrition. 
Learn more about the products at www.cavalor.us or reach out to them through their Facebook page, Cavalor North America. You'll be glad you did. All righty. Welcome back to the classroom. And as always, I hope that that went as good for you and your horse as it did for Nico and me. That was really, I was really pleased with where he was. And when I got on, like I said, I expected we're going to march off. We weren't going to want to stop. We were going to want to go. But you could tell for, I could tell, you couldn't tell because you weren't there. But as I went along, he kind of started to think, well, this isn't the same old, same old. This is something different. And he could relax a little bit. And he put together the training and, and who was up there. And that I wasn't kind of getting him going and correcting him a lot. And I was letting him have a little choice. So it was really powerful for him. But also what I pointed out there at the end that I want to remind you about is this is not about escalating pressure. That's the same old thing that created for Nico and for most of our horses, if there's a little struggle in there or just what they're used to is the escalating pressure is been the impetus for the behavior of going forward or stopping or turning or whatever it might be. When we utilize positive reinforcement, we really are teaching and trying to use true motivation that comes from utilizing something they want. So, so I, escalating pressure is going to be more of the old thing. I don't want to mix the positive reinforcement and the negative reinforcement that oftentimes creates a great deal of confusion and it can get a horse walking on eggshells because a horse who's had maybe some struggles with pieces of the negative reinforcement can sometimes feel like, well, I don't know which one I'm going to get. And it can be like, is it going to go good today or bad today? And they don't know what to expect. So I really choose to use positive reinforcement as, as much as I possibly can. So that's what we focus on here today. But so I don't want to do escalating pressure. I don't want to use the old triggers that that Nico has because that is a trigger for him. Instead, I'm saying we're going to use some other tools. We're going to use this thing that you know so well, and we're going to work together as a team. So I really want it to feel like a true partnership. Remember John Madden saying any John Madden being Beasy Madden's husband, not the football guy, saying every good business deal everybody walks away happy. Now he sells horses and that's really what he's referring to when, when I talked was talking to him about it, but he said, everybody walks away happy. And that to me is such an important concept. Now this, you've heard me say a million times, training should be fun for you and your horse. So it should never feel like work. It should never feel like a business deal in a kind of a cold hearted way. It should feel, it should be fun for you and your horse. This is why, this is what keeps us coming back for more. So if it's just fun for us and not our horse, they don't want to show up. This is a drudgery for them. This isn't fun. But if we can make it where it really is fun for them, then that makes all the difference in the world. So this is what I want to create. I want them to be like, this is great. I love this part. And there is something in it for me that I value. So let's get to it. Let's do this. So I want to be sure that I'm really tapping into that side of Nico's brain, as opposed to the old part that had worry about his written work. So, okay. Now I think that part is probably self-explanatory as we're building the proper reinforcement history with the different components. So what happens if you hit a snag, <laughs> which I kind of mentioned at the end, maybe your horse doesn't go forward. So, okay, you can sit there, but you're like, there's only so much time. Uh, some of you may still be sitting there. <laughs> there's only so much time that you can sit there before you're like, I don't, this isn't, 
nothing's happening here. You know, I need some way to help create behavior. So what I would do in that situation is go back to using the cones, the targeting in the cones. Now, let me kind of look this up because I have a lot of this stuff written down. Teach your horse to go forward. Lesson 17. So teaching your horse to go forward. So lesson 17 will kind of talk to you about utilizing the cones to create behavior. So if I know I have a horse who, and I've done this with Nico, I didn't use them today because I felt like we could get through this okay, but I can use the cones and the targets and have them out there. So I had cones and targets out there, but I just let him, because he seemed like he was in good enough headspace, we didn't necessarily use them. So I had six cones with targets set around the arena. So at every so far intervals, and and you can, and I had them on the, the first half of the arena. So if I felt like I was having a problematic session, I had those to go to, and there was one very close in hand. But if you have a horse who won't go forward or a horse who won't stop or a horse who doesn't like to turn right or doesn't like to turn left or isn't so good at steering, you can utilize a cone for each of those pieces to help create a correct response. So if I really wanted, if I felt like I'm kind of, you know, Nico's escalating and I'm not, I'm feeling like I'm creating more tension and not less. One of the things I could do is point him to a cone and say target. So as he sees the target, he just sees it in front of him. He's going to go to that target. That's how strong his targets are. And what I can do as he's going to the target, as he gets closer to the target and starts to, he slows down because he's slowing down to touch it. I can use the word ho and click the slowing. So as we're almost to the target and he's slowing down, I can say slow or easy and then click and feed that. So I can use the target to create the behavior I'm looking for. So instead of me starting to use reins and and getting back to stuff that has been scary for him, I can say, it's okay, just go to that target there. And as he stops or slows down, I pair it with a cue that I want to help him respond to. So I've done this plenty of times on the ground. He knows what to do with them. So likewise, if you have a horse who will not go forward, and you know this, because you kind of know going into it what you anticipate you're going to get. I knew I had a goey horse, not a slow horse. And so you, let's say, you know, I have a horse who kind of balks quite a bit and doesn't want to go forward. Well, maybe 10 feet in front of the mounting block, I have a cone. And I get on and just say target. And as he starts walking towards the cone, I don't click the slowing part. I click the walking part. So I may use my legs just to tap and say, let's go forward. Or I say, walk on. And as he walks on, I click and reinforce right away. So we're not even at the cone, but I'm clicking the going. Now this, as I pointed out before, and I pointed out in that lesson, a lot of times people say, but I'm stopping to feed. But when that clicker is properly conditioned, they remember what earned them the click. And so you always click on the action you want to see more of because essentially you have reinforced the action you want to see more of. By clicking, you are reinforcing. It is a conditioned reinforcer through the process in which we teach it. So we've just said, oh, you've just earned some sort of reward. And so they think, what was I just doing? Oh, I was walking. So the stopping is an incidental 
we we initiated the stop by clicking and saying, yes, you just earned a reward. So they just stopped to check in with us. They didn't stop and then say, now feed me. We have, we have initiated the stop by clicking and drawing attention to the going. I know this is a hard concept for some people to get because it just seems counterintuitive because they don't really trust how strong and how powerful the clicker or the bridge signal is and becomes when we, we do the training. So if you have a horse who's a, a slow, bulky horse, you start setting those cones and then you might have cones further apart. So then you're walking on to the next cone, but you can have them going a little bit more. I try to click at the part where I have a little bit more going or just the first initial responsiveness to my cue. So I want to draw attention to those two pieces. That horse, I will not click at the slowing and stopping at the cone because that's not necessarily what I, I they already are good at stopping and slowing. So instead, I might say, okay, can we go past this cone and let's go to the next cone? And as they start to march on, they go, okay, I got my sights on the next cone, I may click at that point in time. And if they're further apart, I may click two or three times along that progression. So I hope that makes sense to you. And if you have a horse who's not so good at turning or even bending, that starts to add in another element, which would be for another day. But but you can utilize the, okay, I'm going to use the opening rein to go to that, you know, let's say the opening left rein to go to that target, which is set off to the left. And as they start to go to that direction, you can click and reinforce that. What this process is truly doing is start, it, it's really starting to strengthen your cues. Because what do we have with a horse who won't go forward or a horse who won't stop or a horse who won't turn or a horse who doesn't go straight? It's a lack of responsiveness to our cues. So if they won't, if we say, here's a little leg, I'm asking you to go forward and they go, mm-mm. Then, then we don't have a good response to the cue. So what we're really trying to strengthen is that response to the cue, and then we build duration on that behavior. So I hope that makes sense. So those are some behaviors or some tools that you can use in there. And, and if you start using the cones, spread them out further and further and further and further. So pretty soon they're walking on further, and then pretty soon they're walking by it. But again, I do work, work on this exercise on the ground first so they know what, the, what this exercise looks like from the ground because we can complicate it when we con shift the context and put the rider on. Sometimes they're like, oh, no, this is the old thing. And they can go back to their old habits with this. So we need to go, no, no, it's the new game. So I hope that makes sense for you and gives you some ideas to go with some of these early pieces of the crossover horse, bringing the horse who is a made horse and introducing positive reinforcement into his world. And really, I encourage you as you move forward, definitely I'm going to encourage you not to mix positive and negative together. I found that is not the strongest way to go. It can create some horses are okay with it and some horses are actually quite uh you, you can lose the positive reinforcement and the value of the positive reinforcement. It can be quite troublesome for them. So since we have great ways to teach the all of these behaviors without needing to use negative reinforcement, let's focus on those. So I really encourage you as you move forward to try to use your creativity, come back to this to this podcast so you can or reach out to Ask Shauna or do something or come to Vianova and learn how we do it so you can learn about how to utilize a positive reinforcement and being more creative in the more complicated and moving forward with, with things as we move on. Anyway, so that's where we're going to kind of wrap that little homework up for now. You know, you can listen to this, this episode 
this lesson, really, on most of your favorite podcast players, or all the lessons, really. You can listen to on most of your favorite podcast players. You can also listen on Horse Radio Network app. Of course, it's easy to use, and it works for both our Android and, and Apple devices. Just search Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free, easy to use, and, and makes it easy to follow along. And I want to really encourage you also to be sure to visit all of the great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www horseradionetwork.com and there's all sorts of fun things on there i sound like a broken record or broken podcast host (laughs) but there's all sorts of fun things on there for all different disciplines and all different styles you know do you like funny stuff do you like serious stuff do you like sciencey stuff do you like you know all there's all sorts of things vets and and riders different disciplines so really check it out on horseradionetwork.com if you look up Shauna Karish, you'll probably find shaunacarish.com and you'll most certainly find vianovatraining.com. So you can go there. You can also listen to podcasts there. You can uh, see some of the Ask Shauna answers and questions and find or submit an Ask Shauna question there. And also you can find out what we're up to at Vianova Training. So vianovatraining.com and you can sign up for our newsletter and keep abreast of what we're doing out here in New Mexico. And pretty soon, before you know it, the world will be normal again and we'll be doing workshops and I'll be out there on the road again. All righty, you guys, that's it for now. So you have a great time out there and uh, do your homework. Okay, talk to you later. Bye.